0: In response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, an angry president and venal houseplant Joe Biden has unleashed a withering barrage of maundering platitudes that has left Russian leader Vladimir Putin trembling in the 190,000 square foot Italianate palace he built by stealing a billion dollars from his people's health care budget. In a speech made to the Capitol Hall of Statues, which he mistook for Disneyland, which he mistook for the real world, Biden said, quote, who in the Lord's name told Putin he could send Russian tanks into a sovereign country and face nothing but useless half measures and meaningless rhetoric, because whoever it was, he sure knew what he was talking about, unquote. President Biden then went on to tell the statue of Sarah Winnemucca, whom he mistook for Pocahontas, whom he mistook for Mulan, because all those pandering princess movies get mixed up in his mind sometimes, that he'd forgotten what he was going to say next, because he was trying to remember the lyrics to Color of the Wind. Then after a few moments muttering something about the wolf crying to the blue corn moon, the president unveiled the sanctions which he would impose on Putin if the murderous Russian gangstocrat would not stop making him look like a senile buffoon in front of the entire world. First, Biden said, if Putin would not stop his invasion, he would start to blame him for the high gas prices, which he had previously been blaming on the Chinese virus in order to avoid blaming them on the idiotic Democrat energy policies, which had set Putin free to invade Ukraine in the first place. Second, he would send Vice President Kamala Harris to protect the Ukrainian border like she protected our border right up until the moment it ceased to exist. Third, Since a Democrat Congress lost the Vietnam War after Nixon ended it, and since Barack Obama lost the war in Iraq after Bush won it, and since he has now lost the Cold War that Reagan won, Biden promised to spend $1,500 billion teaching Americans German for when the next Democrat president loses World War II. President Houseplant then wandered off to sniff the hair of the statue of suffragist Francis Willard, whom he mistook for Justin Trudeau, because Trudeau is just such a pansy. That meant commentators on the political left and right had to try to make sense of his speech, especially the whole bit about the blue corn moon, whatever the hell that is. On the left, commentators said that Putin's Ukraine invasion could be seen to be Donald Trump's fault if you looked at it in just the right way by first putting your head up your ass, then whistling the international (laughs) through your navel on the right Some commentators sided with Putin, saying just because he pillaged the Russian treasury for his own gain, murdered 300 of his own people to give himself an excuse for slaughtering Chechens, then invaded Georgia, then invaded Crimea while murdering anyone who criticized him, both at home and abroad. That doesn't mean he isn't a nice guy when you get him alone. Conservatives also praised Putin's pre-invasion speech, saying that by recycling Hitler's excuses for invading Czechoslovakia, Putin had saved paper and helped the environment. Meanwhile, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, said he was intensifying the military's readiness by allowing more transgender people to enlist, all of whom will be renamed Milley, which should be really cute during their synchronized dance numbers to music from Thoroughly Modern Milley. So everything's going to be fine. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I the hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo, birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky doo. ship-shaped, dipsy topsy the world is a zing it's a wonderful day, hoorah, hooray, it makes me want to sing, oh, hoorah, Hooray! All right. We are back laughing our way, actually laughing our way through World War Three, which I think is great. You know, just if they could have held off a few more years, I could have been watching it from heaven. But no, they just had to get going right away. This would be an excellent time, probably your last chance to subscribe to Apple Podcasts before the nuclear weapons start <laughs> flying back and forth. Give us a five-star review so that you too can go to heaven uh, when the bombs hit. Uh, that's Apple Podcasts. <laughs> subscribe to The Andrew Clavin Show. Also, by the truth and beauty. If we survive that long, you are going to love it. You know, I just read the audiobook of this and I was reminded that a lot of people are afraid it's just a book about poetry, just kind of intellectual stuff, but it's really not. It's a book of stories of these incredible geniuses, uh, the greatest poets who ever lived and the wild things they did and said and thought about and it, and how it applies, how it re, reanimates the way uh, you look at the gospels. Uh, so please get pre-order that. It would really help. It would mean that the publishers know that you're interested and they'll order more books and that will help us. Also, subscribe to the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel. This is very important. If you uh, press that little bell uh, when your house explodes because a nuclear weapon has gone on it, you'll actually hear that bell ping uh, just seconds before the bomb hits. Also, if <laughs> <laughs> so if you leave a comment and the comment is just disgustingly immoral, uh, we'll read it on the show because what's the difference? Uh, Joshua Stanley left a comment, says, Clavin keeps saying uh, Alexandria occasional cortex is hot. Uh, Virginia must have washed California's standards out of his system. Well, you know, she's hot for politics. They say that politics is Hollywood for ugly people uh, and she's hot for politics. That's, that, that is basically my point. And also my point is basically go on and look on, uh, all those, those, uh, clickbait things that try to get you to look at them every single picture. What is it? A woman with a great rack. That's what, that's what it is. There's something magical about that. She has that magic and that makes her really, uh, terrifying because she's also a fascist. So, all right, let us talk about the war. Here is our old pal, Vladimir Putin, uh, cut nine.
1: I have decided to conduct a special military operation. The goal is to protect the people who for 8 years suffer bullying and genocide from the Kiev regime. And for this we aim for the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine.
0: Uh so yeah denazify a country that has a Jew for president so that- That's really helpful. Uh, Listen, I'm laughing, but this is a big, big deal. The dream of a globalist peace and with security forever is over. Uh, The idea that this is the 21st century, no one is going to go to war is done. The fantasy of international community, international law, which was always a fantasy, is over. The world, it turns out, is exactly what it always was. And anybody who is surprised by that, uh, which seems to be our entire Western leadership, not just in America, but in Europe, Europe is a dangerous child and shouldn't be anywhere near the controls of power. Before I say more about this, though, I want to put what I'm about to say in context. I, I sometimes tell my wife that there are two kinds of people in the world, people who think there are two kinds of people in the world and the other kind of person, and I'm the other kind of person. And that's a, that's a Zen joke, because when you, I practice Zen for many, many years, and when you do that, what you're trying to do is see through the binary thinking that paralyzes most people and see reality in total uh, without kind of dividing things into uh, you know this and that and posing them against each other. And the reason I bring this up is because one of the things I've noticed doing this podcast is that there is a select group of people who simply cannot hear what you actually say— What they hear is they're having an argument in their head and A is fighting with B. And if you don't say A, they think you said B. And if you don't say B, they think you said A. It's like they have two slots in their head. And if you don't go into one slot, they put you in the other slot. So, I mean, for instance, the one that bedevils me most, but there's plenty of other examples. Uh, If I say Donald Trump had a tragic flaw and that the very character traits that made him sometimes great as a president also thwarted and sullied a lot of what he accomplished and what he was trying to do. Every single week, I swear, I get email uh, telling me that I hate Donald Trump, and email telling me that I'm Donald Trump's mindless slave. Okay, because they only see two possibilities. Those are the only two possibilities in their heads. And if I don't go into one slot, I go into the other slot. Uh, I'm either uh, a an ever Trumper who just does whatever Trump says, or I just hate him and I'm a never Trumper. And and obviously neither of those things is true, uh, since I voted for him and always had a lot of good things to say about the wonderful things he did. But also pointed out from the very beginning from the Moment he was elected, how his presidency was going to end? It ended exactly the way I said it was going to end because we always give you tomorrow's news today. Binary thinking, which is a false way of seeing reality, is encouraged in a two-party state, a two-party system where you have to make a choice between the evil party and the stupid party, and it's not always clear which is which. Right? I'm, you know, I always tell my few remaining Democrat friends. I always say to them, you know, you're not wrong about how. How bad the Republicans are! You're wrong about how bad the Democrats are. It's like you think that because the Republicans are annoying, the Democrats must be better, but that's simply not the case. And what you have is because people take sides and they identify with their side and they identify with the people on their side and they hero worship and they're you know the heart is a natural idolater. The heart just manufactures idolatry out of nothing. So you get a politician that you like and suddenly he can do no wrong and suddenly even if he completely upends your values, you follow him down down that uh, hole. Um, and, and clever politicians use that, you know, they, they all use it to some degree. But if you say, you know, if they say, well, you know, it, the police are racist, you know, the police are racist and you say, well, you know, no, actually, you know, there may be racist police, but police are dealing with high crime in black neighborhoods, which are caused by social dysfunction in black neighborhoods, which are in turn caused by great society policies that the Democrats don't want to get rid of because they enrich them. They enrich the politicians, but they decimated black communities. And if we truly love our black fellow citizens, we have to start holding them responsible for their own outcomes, even in the face of occasional racism. And we have to destroy the great society. And they respond, so you're a racist. So you're a racist, right? And eventually you get so upset, you sort of say, well, Okay, if the only way I can tell the truth is by being racist, I will be racist. And then you're a wicked idiot and they've won. They've won because now you're outside the the realm of the Overton window. It's It's a really good trick. It works almost every time because people lose their temper. They hammer it. They've got the communications territory to do it. So the only way out is just to continue always to speak the truth and let him who has ears to hear, hear what you're saying. And this is what, and that's the context in which I want to talk about Putin and Ukraine, because I'm going to talk today a lot about the stupidity and fecklessness of Western leaders that has, and Western culture that has led us to this moment. And, and, and this is a really bad moment. I mean, don't, don't mistake it. This is going to go away. What's happening now, the big headlines, all that stuff is going to go away, but it's only the beginning of what's going to happen if things go as, as they almost must. There's always a way out, but we'll see. So this is a big moment. I'm going to talk about the stupidity and recklessness of Western culture and Western leaders that has led us to this moment. But do not for a second think that that means that Vladimir Putin is anything but a wicked gangster. He is a bad, bad, bad guy. And the West and its freedoms are not only still worth fighting for, but basically they're the only things. That are worth fighting for. You know, the, the Ukrainians are out there. They're being invaded by Russia, one of the, still one of the most powerful military forces on the planet, and they are fighting bravely. The foreign minister who was out of the country just went back into the country knowing what Putin said he's going to do. He's going to decapitate the government. That means he's going to arrest and probably kill everybody who runs the country and install his own people there. The foreign minister, whose name is definitely on Putin's list, is going back into the country because he can't stand for the soldiers to be fighting while he's out of harm's way. That's what he's doing. I don't know if you heard that story about the Snake Island uh, where the Russian Navy approached and they sent a message saying, this is the Russian Navy, Uh, you know, please surrender, you know, it's time to surrender. And the 13 soldiers who were on the island uh, sent back a note saying, Russian Navy, go F yourself. And all of them were killed. And this is something to remember when moral midgets like Andrew Cuomo and virtually the entire news media during COVID told us we had to shut down Western culture. We have to shut down Western civilization, destroy our economy, weaken our nation, weaken our children, hurt our children because death was the worst thing. Remember Andrew Cuomo saying that it's death. There's nothing worse than death. It's death. Remember when one Republican, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name because he deserves credit. He went on and said there are worse things than death you know, because I want to make sure my children are getting their education. There are worse things than death. And everybody just said, what do you mean worse than death? Well, you bet there are worse things than death. People didn't believe that. If people didn't fight uh, to be free, if they didn't fight for their freedom, you wouldn't have all the things that you have. Everything you have is built on the body of soldiers who died thinking this is worth it. This is worth risking my life for. Uh, So because a senile and venal version of Neville Chamberlain as president. I mean that you know President Biden is just you know we we thought that, oh my gosh, or somebody thought not me, but a lot of people thought that uh, Donald Trump was so out there that we had to get this basement boy, this old man in there, and it couldn't be worse. It's worse, it is worse. It, he has taken one year and he has destroyed just about everything that Trump did, and so many things that Trump didn't even do that pre predated Trump. but I am not going to be called. Unpatriotic for t- speaking the truth about Western leadership, especially by a press that elevated terrorists as austere religious scholars. Remember that the Washington Post said that uh, they condemned Trump for killing Iranian terrorists. They said, "Oh, he's going to start a war what a terrible thing!" They interrupted or or they they condemned Trump for interrupting Iran's nuclear program because they thought Obama was the son of God. So anything he did must have been great. Where really uh, Obama just made it easier. Look, they have been picking they. Blame George W. Bush for a hurricane when he was fighting two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm not going to suddenly be accused of being unpatriotic by these clowns who are only patriotic. They're only patriotic when they're fighting for their side, which is the left, which is leftism. When they have a Democrat president in play, he can do nothing wrong. And suddenly we're not supposed to say this is a weak old, blithering idiot who brought us to this brink, into this war, not because he's the bad guy because he doesn't know how to deal with the bad guy. Putin is the bad guy. You cannot say that just because I'm talking, it's telling the truth about Biden and other Western leaders that I'm giving any credence to Vladimir Putin. Do not fall for that. I mean, the, these buffoons are part of the problem, as we know. This leftist media, they, they only become patriots at, this, at the moment when they're defending their side. And the thing is, because of Western fecklessness, not because of Western evil, Putin's the evil one, but because of Western fecklessness and dealing with evil, we are now in a tragic situation. And when I use the word tragic, that doesn't mean sad. I've said this a lot, but it's hard to explain to Americans what tragic means because we don't uh, experience tragedy that often in this country. We're too powerful. We're too safe or have been for so long. But but tragedy is not just sad stuff. Tragedy is like being in checkmate. It's like a moral version of checkmate. You move one way, you lose your king to a bishop. You move another way, you lose your king to a knight. You lose your king to a pawn. If you lose a third way, there are no good answers. And, and the thing about this is when you find yourself in a tragic situation, it means you made a mistake a long way back during the game, and your opponent outplays you. That's what it means when you're in a tragic situation, because tragic situations have to be avoided before you get into them. Once you're in checkmate, you're screwed, right? You can still move, but every move you make is going to be bad. So now we're in a situation where we can't uh, go into Ukraine against uh, against Putin. Nobody wants to go have boots on the ground in Ukraine. And if we do, we could we risk starting nuclear war. I mean, we risk were, we're starting a huge, huge war if we don't go into Ukraine right now, Putin and uh, Xi and China are going to know that they are free to keep pushing what they're pushing, which is the end of the Western world order in favor of an authoritarianism that they have developed that now basically can still run a decent economy, uh, at least so far, while enslaving its people. And the part of the problem is, is that too many of our elites, uh, like th- that jerk Justin Trudeau, that blackface pansy, Justin Trudeau and AOC. Speaking of hot bodies, uh, AOC, people like that are already enamored of authoritarianism. So they may not be too sure what they're fighting for. uh, Even, you know, like this, uh, this idiot Trudeau. I mean, this guy really is something else. He he has a peaceful demonstration going on. He has a peaceful demonstration going on. He doesn't just break it up which would be one thing. And this is, remember, a guy who knelt down to celebrate Black Lives Matter burning down our cities. So now it's, it's him who looks bad. He cancels people's uh, uh, bank accounts. He steals their money. He says the police are going to hunt you down wherever you are. He denies them bail, just like they're doing to the January 6th people, which might be fair if they did it to the BLM people, too, but they don't. And then he makes he makes this speech when Putin goes into Ukraine. This is cut five.
2: As we see a rise of authoritarianism around the world, as we see uh, challenges increasingly to democracies, to democratic principles, we need to all stand strong in defense of those values and principles.
0: Somebody should take this guy by the heels and dump his head in ice water because he is really something else. I mean, this is the problem. Our, Our side, he's on our side, theoretically, he's the West, has lost the plot of freedom, has lost the plot of what it means to be a free people. Now, when I say this is a tragic situation and every move is uh, is bad, it's fortunate for us because there's a God and because Doris Day, who personally knows God, was right and the future is not ours to know, history is never decidedly tragic. You never know if there might still be a way to avoid the global conflagration which is going to come if we don't stand by and do absolutely nothing. But to do that, we're going to have to take a hard look at ourselves, and we're going to have to take a hard look at Vladimir Putin and at what just happened. So Vladimir Putin is an important guy to understand right now, obviously, because he's operating on his own, and he's operating out of his own motives. And this is... One of those places where binary thinking gets you in trouble. The people who spend all their time hating Trump, dreaming up new ways to attack Trump. They go insane every time Trump says something like he just said uh, what Putin is doing is genius. Putin is, is a genius. And then you get the crap like this from uh, Liz Cheney and from Joe Scarborough's Cut 28.
2: This Liz Cheney says, former president Donald Trump's adulation of Putin today, AIDS our enemy. Yeah. Uh, 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 In the process AIDS of an invasion. enemies. Trump's interests don't align with the interests of the United States of America. They do not. Mike Pompeo's interests do not align uh, with the interests of the United States of America or of the NATO alliance that we fought so hard as a country uh, to continue to work together with. <laughs> so-
0: Now You know, look, nobody can deny Trump has a big mouth and he speaks carelessly, but he didn't say Putin wasn't a bad guy. In fact, he was talking sardonically and he's basically said Putin's a bad guy. I mean, Jack the Ripper was clever, too. Jack the Ripper evaded the police. That doesn't mean you have him over for brunch when when Trump and Pompeo say this guy is brilliant they're talking about his a realism that he has that the west doesn't have that doesn't mean he's good I've already said he's an evil gangster it simply means that he is he sees the situation more clearly than guys like Biden and John Kerry and all these people who have been getting us into this fix for a long time conversely when people say tell the truth and say Putin is a, a, an evil doer and a gangster you know And he steals people's money and he oppresses his people and he murders people. You you get people on the right, you know, who start to say, well, you just want one of another one of these endless wars. That's what you want. Another one of these endless. Well, you know, I want to play Tucker Carlson. Now, I I don't like uh, attacking people on the right because the left is so powerful and so bad. And I personally like Tucker Carlson, both his show. I've only met him a couple of times, but I've, I've always enjoyed him. I like his show. I frequently agree with him. I don't always agree with him. He does good journalism. But he has been saying things, well, like this. as a cut four. It might be worth asking yourself, since it is getting pretty serious, what is this really about? Why do I hate Putin so much? Has Putin ever called me a racist? Has he threatened to get me fired for disagreeing with him? Has he shipped every middle-class job in my town to Russia? Did he manufacture a worldwide pandemic that wrecked my business and kept me indoors for two years? Is he teaching my children to embrace racial discrimination? Is he making fentanyl? Is he trying to snuff out Christianity? Does he eat dogs? These are fair questions, and the answer to all of them is no. Vladimir Putin didn't do any of that. So, you know, I I ask myself what he's saying, because he's just obviously a smart guy. And like I said, I frequently agree with uh, what he's talking about. Maybe he's trying to get people not to get caught up in war fever or something like that, to cool their emotions. But who cares if you hate him? I don't hate him. I don't hate him at all. He's a force. I don't. You know, I, I used to get into fights with bullies when I was a little kid. I didn't hate the bully. I hated the bullying because if you let it go, it just go. It just keeps on going. And if you don't, you know, the world goes down the drain. If good people let wickedness thrive. And yes, there's a difference between Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine is striving toward westernness. It's corrupt like all post-Soviet countries, but it's striving toward freedom. It's striving toward westernness. And you know, here's we got to give some credit to, to our pal Ben Shapiro here. When Ben says facts don't care about your feelings, this is, this is what he's talking about, right? Putin is a fact. What Putin is doing is a fact. It doesn't matter whether you hate him. It matters what you do about him to keep the world safe and to keep, and to keep people free. So what is Putin? What, what are the facts about Putin? What Putin is, he's a thug, and he he's not Hitler. But he is in a political situation that is so much like Hitler's uh, political situation that he's going to do a lot of the same things Hitler did. Okay, he's he's a nasty criminal like Hitler was, but he's not a psychopath. And that makes him uh, less dangerous in some ways. But it also, of course, makes him more dangerous in other ways. I mean, Hitler was a Jew hating maniac. He was a madman. He he really was a, 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 a psychopath. And. Hitler helped destroy himself in that way. If he hadn't wasted time and money slaughtering his own Jewish population, the Jewish population of Eastern Europe, if he hadn't wasted effort attacking Russia uh, before he was secure in, on his Western flank, he might have won that war, right? So so that that's something for being a psychopath who was an overblown eg- egomaniac. At least he made mistakes while he was murdering uh, people in his e- evil psychopathy. But Putin is not mad in that sense. He's evil and he's more dangerous in some ways because he's not nuts and he won't make the same kinds of mistakes that Hitler made, right? He's a much more considered person in what he's doing. But think of how amazingly similar his position is to Hitler's position. The Germans thought they were going to win, were absolutely certain they were going to win World War I and that it was going to be a path to glory. They were certain about this until the moment the surrender happened the surrender came it just for them it was like a bolt from the blue they thought this is germany's finest hour all this time we've been behind all of europe and now Finally, we're going to get the respect that we deserve. We're taking over all these countries. It's going to be great. And then it was over and they had lost. And, you know, you you go on Twitter. You know what happens when people lose things, when people lose an election. Oh, suddenly it's Russian. It's really Russian collusion with Trump. We didn't just lose because we suck and because Trump outsmarted. Couldn't be that, you know, or or it was stolen. It couldn't be that, that Trump alienated a lot of people who would have voted for him. That, that couldn't be the explanation. It's got to be that it was stolen. It's always a conspiracy. And that's what the Germans did. People don't like to lose. I don't like to lose. Nobody likes to lose. And that's what the Germans did when they lost World War I. They said, oh, we were stabbed in the back by the Jews. You know, it wasn't just that we went into this war and we got defeated. We were stabbed in the back by the Jews. And then Hitler started to win the war they lost. And even people who hated what Hitler stood for and even people who disdained his madness and his wickedness and his started to think, well, yeah, but at least we have pride again. At least we're not the laughing stock of Europe anymore. At least we're not humiliated, okay? That's, that is the way Hitler sort of won back the, the, the populace, even as he was doing things that many people in the population thought were bad, you know, were, were actually evil. So it's the same thing that happened to the Soviet Union. The Soviets thought... They were the cutting edge of a worldwide workers' revolution that was going to bring equality and socialism and peace to all. They thought, like, the, we are the, we're it. We are it. They really were told this. They really believed it. Even as they were being oppressed, even as they were standing on uh, bread lines, they were whispering to one another about the movement and what was going on and talking about the West, but also talking about the corruption of the West and the decadence of the West because that's all the news they were getting. And suddenly, It was over. You know, when Ronald Reagan made his famous speech where he said uh, this is an evil empire, where he called the Soviet Union an evil empire, even some of the people high up in the Communist Party thought, we're the baddies, we're the evil ones. They were shocked. They were shocked that anyone could say that because nobody in the West had really come out and said it who had the kind of cred that Ronald Reagan had. They didn't know. They didn't know. And when their empire collapsed, suddenly, suddenly they were a laughingstock. Right. And so, now Putin comes along, and it's it's amazing. It was it's amazing. When Hitler wanted to take this the Sudetenland, what he said was the Sudetenland was made after World War I, and it's mostly German people, which was true, it was German-speaking people and German, racially German people. And it was tacked on to this created country, this Czechoslovakia, which was created out of the remnants of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So Hitler got up and he made this, these speeches, and he said, you know, you've got to give me the Sudetenland. It's just natural to get. And they gave it to him. And it's exactly the same speech that Putin made about Ukraine. Here's cut 15, in, where he explained why he's going to go into Ukraine. I would like to start by saying that the modern Ukraine is completely, was completely created by Russia. To be more exact, by Bolshevis, Bolshevik-Communist Russia, this process has started almost immediately after the 1917 revolution. And he said the same thing. The, the Ukrainians are really Russian. We're one people, one culture. So, you know, we have a right to go into Russia. And the first thing he did was he said, I just these these parts have declared themselves independent. So I'm going to go in and protect their independence. And that's what Hitler did. He said, I just give me the Sudetenland. And that's the Munich pact, the famous Munich pact where uh, Neville Chamberlain went and said, I've achieved peace in our time by giving the Sudetenland to Hitler, whereupon Hitler just conquered the rest of Czechoslovakia, then went on to Poland. Then finally, 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 they had to declare war. And people, you know, we we think of World War II as a triumph because we won, but it was a tragedy, right? It was a tragedy. I mean, 80 million people died and each one of those people, their life was just as real to them as your life is to you right now. Each one of them had a mother who loved them. Each one of them smelled the flowers and saw the sky and fell in love. 80 million people died, and it's a good thing we won. Of course, it's a good thing we won, but it still doesn't stop it from being a tragedy. A triumph would have been stopping Hitler before he got going. So now you've got the Soviet Union, and they're in almost the same situation. They're humiliated, uh, and a criminal is basically in charge of the country, but he's a criminal who gives them Pride again. He does the same thing that Hitler does. He gives them pride. Now, remember, Putin went in there with his cronies after the after the Soviet Union fell. There was a brief period of semi-democracy that was chaos and it was terrible. And Putin came in and he pillaged. He he and his cronies, they call them the oligarchs, since since communism, socialism, communism slash socialism pools all the money in the state. They just pillaged it. They became billionaires. When I was talking about that mansion, look, we have a picture of that mansion. I mean, this is the mansion that he got by taking a billion dollars out of what was supposed to be their health care fund. And I mean, look at it. It's, I mean, Versailles doesn't even hold a candle to it. It's an amazing, uh, place. And, and that's what they did. They became wealthy, but, but they started to, uh, but Putin basically started to give people pride by marching on other countries. They, you know, Putin and his friends—they're not—they're not doing anything for Russia. They're off educating their kids in Europe. They have billions of dollars. They're pillaging the money. They don't do anything. The people don't have a good economy because the entire economy is based on oil. If Europe stopped buying oil from them, they'd be in big trouble. And he—he he is just, uh, you know, he's not like I said, he's not Hitler, but he's in the same position. He's in this can uh, shore up his power the same way. And he makes the people feel like big shots. When he went into Crimea, his popularity soared. And for years, people were saying, well, things aren't really great here, but at least we're back on the world stage. At least people are afraid of us again. At least people are taking us seriously again. We're not humiliated anymore, just like Hitler. The other way that Putin is like Hitler, they both have an idea. And this is important because the world is about ideas. Hitler believed and he had an idea of what Germany was. And Putin truly believes in the Russia of his youth. Uh, He believes that the fall of the Soviet Union was a bad thing to him and he wants to build back. I don't know how far he thinks he can get, but obviously he's testing the waters. He's going to test the waters. And the less we stand up to him, the further he's going to go. So. Here's the first place where our leaders are feckless and he's not, right? What did our leaders believe in? What do our leaders believe in, right? Do they believe in the founding? Do they believe in freedom? Do they believe the god in the God who gives us his rights? You know, our leaders believe in trade. That has been their mantra all this time, even on the right. And this is true on the right. You know, people people yammer about God and they yammer about values. But do they really believe in them? Do they really believe in because it's not what a politician says. After all, Putin, I I love when conservatives say this. This drives me crazy. They say, well, Putin, at least is standing up for Christianity. That's like Michael Corleone at the baptism scene standing up for Christianity (laughs) while all his enemies are being slaughtered. No, he's not. No, he's not. He will say anything to keep Power, Right. But our leaders forgot that freedom comes before trade and values come before freedom. And they haven't stood up for moral truth and self-discipline and ultimately religious faith because faith in the God who endowed us with our rights. You know, I don't want to get off on a long tangent about this, but the stuff that I talk about when I talk about the family, you know, I've talked a lot about gay rights and my son being gay and my son now getting married and obviously i think you can all tell how much i love my son like my daughter they are uh, i love them more than myself and my son is getting married to a guy that i love and i'm happy to have him in my family i'm proud to have him in my family the guys are a, a wonderful addition my problem is not with gay people uh, having relationships my problem is with the definition of marriage being changed by straight people so that it no longer means a sacred bond between a a man and a woman to create a family because the family is everything, man. The family is the first church. The family is the first government. The family is where souls are shaped and values are given. And the the head of the family is the father, but the center of the family is the mother. And I know people criticize me because they say, you don't talk about how important fathers are. You're always talking about mothers. I, I think that criticism, there's fairness to that. I can't talk about everything all at once. But the fact is, the fact is that femininity is a primary trait. Women are women because that's the genius of the virgin birth, by the way. Women are who they are because they're women. Men are who they are because women are women. Men have responsibilities to women. They have to protect them. They have to lead, lead. They have to lead their families. They have to support them so that women can do the important thing of creating people, creating people, not just physically, but also spiritually and mentally, you know, men don't support abortion and birth control and anti-family feminism because they love women. They support those things because it gets them off the hook for doing the things that men are supposed to be doing, right? This is why it's not, it's not about gay people. It's about what we have done to marriage. There has to be a hierarchy. This is the thing. There can be gay relationships. It's a better world without gay people being arrested for who they are. It's a gay, better world without gay people being um, oppressed for who they are. But that still doesn't take from the center of human life, motherhood, fatherhood, the family. That doesn't. And we have let that go because it's easier, because we don't like the binary situation where we get called bigots when we say that. We hate being called bigots. Nobody likes a bigot. And so they create this binary way of thinking where you say, well, you can't say that because you're excluding. Doesn't matter. There is a hierarchy. Hierarchy is a, a sacred order. That's what hierarchy originally meant. It's an order of, of, of sacredness and the mother and father family and that, and what is marriage, what is marriage is the most sacred thing in the place where all freedoms come from. You know, right. Knowles, I hate to, you know, this will just tell you how serious I am because I, you know how it pains me to say this, but Knowles is right about this. We are not in an argument when we're arguing about this stuff. We're not in an argument between free speech and, uh, and oppression. They say, well, we say, well, you know, it's, it's cancel culture when you Take somebody's job away because he disapproves of uh, homosexuality. And they say, well, it's cancel culture when you fire a teacher because he taught racism and groomed children for pedophilia. No, one, one is free speech, the other is evil. All right, so anyway, we've gutted our society of every value but money. And we think, hey, they're going to love money too. Chi's going to love money too. You know, we'll get him some money and we'll give Putin some money and they're all going to trade. We're all going to have this one big trading block. And Chi and Putin basically say no. No, we don't want—we have values. Are they evil values? Yes, they are. I mean, China is, you know, a hive mind. It's being forced into being a hive mind by their social engineering. Russia is a czarist state again— you know, yeah, it's evil, it's it's uh, retrograde, it is all those things, but those are values. And that is what the world is about. The world is about history is not a struggle between systems of trade. History is a struggle between values. And if you condemn religion, you can get rid of religion, you can get rid of tradition. And guess what? One day you're going to open your door and another religion you don't like so much and another tradition that's oppressive is going to be waiting there with a gun. I want to show you, though, I mean, because... I'm sorry, I know I'm going off on a tangent in a way, but Putin and Xi must look at us turning boys into girls and destroying our energy industry over computer models uh, that something might happen in 100 years and firing people from their jobs for being white and attacking our own heritage, tearing down our own statues. You know, and, and look, boys can become girls, look at Justin Trudeau, but while we're sitting around making Rachel Levine the first male who's a female admiral so she can gather her pink cloud ships and wage war against reality on a make (laughs) you see Putin and she are drinking and laughing and they're thinking, you know, yeah, that's good. You guys keep doing that and we'll teach your children to we'll send over TikTok and we'll teach your children to do that, too. And we are going to take over the world bit by bit by bit. First our part, then your part. So You know, we convinced Ukraine. So we're fools. We're fools. We thought all this was over. It's never over. It is never over. The mind of man, the brain of man, the consciousness of man evolves. But the heart of man is crooked and it never changes. Never, ever, ever changes. We we talked Ukraine into giving up their nuclear weapons. We said we'd protect them. In the in the crunch, and Russia said, "And yes, and we'll never attack them." But Russia doesn't care about treaties. They don't care about anything. They do not care about anything except what they're doing. So our treaties don't mean anything to to them. And now we see they don't mean anything to us, right? I mean, the the, the sanctions that Biden has unleashed on these guys are are joke are a joke. They are a joke still. These oh, these are the worst sanctions ever. This is really going to do it to them. Uh, No, no, it's not. They're not going to do it's not going to do anything to them. They're not making the oligarchs pay. They're not cutting them off. There's so many exceptions in their energy sanctions that they're not sanctions at all. And and this is, you know, and and this is a result of just a a fantasy that we were in. I mean, let's go back in time just a little bit. Remember George Bush meeting Vladimir Putin for the first time is cut one.
2: I looked the man in the eye. I found it to be very straightforward and trustworthy. We had a very good dialogue. I was able to um, get a sense of his soul. He's a man deeply committed to his country and the best interests of his country. Uh, And I appreciated so very much the frank dialogue.
0: (laughs) George W. Bush looked into Putin's eyes and he saw himself, you know, he's a good man, he's dedicated to the good of his country, and he is, he is those things. But he was looking at a a monster. He was looking at a guy who was just thinking, yeah, whatever, you know, I I don't care about it. And and then, of course, Obama sent Secretary of State Hillary Clinton over there to talk to, uh, who was it, Uh, Lavrov, the foreign minister, and she gave him the reset button. As cut two.
1: In anticipation of uh, this important meeting and our our time here together, I wanted to uh, present you with uh, a, a little gift which represents what President Obama and Vice President Biden and I have been saying. And that is, we want to reset our relationship. Let's do, it, let's do it together. So we will do it together, okay?
2: <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: You Thank are you. very welcome. We worked hard to get the right Russian word. Do you think you, we got it? You get it wrong. I got it wrong.
2: <laughs> it should be перезагрузка, ah. And this says Peregruska, uh, which means overcharged.
0: <laughs> And everybody's laughing and Lavrov is wondering what Hillary is going to taste like when he cooks her and eats her, right? Because she's she's Obama. she are thinking money, money, money. They're thinking everybody, everybody is themselves. Everybody's looking at these people and seeing themselves and thinking, well, we like money. We like cheap iPhones. We have no values anymore. So why should they have values? But they do. They have the wrong values, but they have values. And that is what history is about. History is about values Fighting with values, you know. You know how I always say, you don't preach to people because it's annoying. You preach by living out your values with joy, and then people see that and they think, "Hey, what's what? What is this guy on? What is he smoking?" And they join. That that's appealing to people. That is appealing. But you got to feel that joy. You got to live into those values. Have we done that? Have we shown anybody values? I mean, uh, when we're sitting around, you know, putting up uh, rainbow flags in Afghanistan. Uh, <laughs> Are we showing anybody anything except decadence and stupidity and a complete misunderstanding of where the center of life is and what life is about? I mean, people are looking at us. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, a man can turn into a a woman. Sure, he can. You know, they're looking at us like we're nuts. And you know why? Because we're nuts. We're nuts because we have no values. And so they're thinking everything's going to be great because we have a global world economy. And Putin and his friend in China, they're both thinking, no, no, no. What you're saying is we're going to have a world economy. But it's an American world. And I've said this a million times. I'm for globalism as long as it's American globalism, as long as all the values that we spread throughout the globe are the good old fashioned founding fathers, American values. I'm there. But that's not going to happen because other people have their values and some of their values are bad and they defend them to the death. Right. No, no evil villain thinks he's a villain. No villain thinks he's a villain. They, you know, a, a friend of mine said to me the other day, even Hitler thought he was doing the world a favor. Yes, that's right. Even Hitler thought he was doing the world a favor. These guys don't think they're villains. They just are villains because their values suck. They're not different. I mean, this is a thing that used to bother me about Trump. Trump would say, well, Putin just happens to have a different Um, you know, economic system or a different political system, and I don't happen to like a system. No, 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 no. That's not it. His system is wrong. His system is wrong, and our system is right. Freedom is what God wants from human beings. That's what He gave us. That is His gift to us. And I'm sorry if you don't like God, and I'm sorry if you don't like that kind of absolutism. I'm not an absolutist. I'm not even an absolutist about freedom, but I know that that is the good thing that human beings are supposed to have. And here's Obama. You remember Mitt Romney, I'm sure everybody remembers this, Mitt Romney saying that, um, uh, that Russia was our biggest geopolitical enemy, which probably isn't true. It's probably China, but still, you know, Obama laughed at him. It's cut 13. Governor Romney, I'm glad that you recognize that al-Qaeda is a threat because a few months ago when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not al-Qaeda. You said Russia. In the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because, you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. But, Governor, you know, when it comes to our foreign policy, you seem to want to import the foreign policies of the 1980s, just like the social policies of the 1950s and the economic policies of the 1920s. Ha, 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 right? And, like, you know, again, it, you could just as easily have said... Chamberlain could just as easily have said to Churchill and probably did, you know, World War 1 is over, you know, world you know you're still fighting World War 1, pal. We got to give the Sudetenland to Hitler and again Putin's not Hitler but he's a criminal just like Hitler is, was and and so, you know, you can say the same thing. The, this part of the world doesn't change. And this dream that they, they had, this, this fantasy, this pink fantasy we've been living in, that every, every time I hear people say, you know, oh, it's the 21st century. Nobody's going to invade anybody anymore. I just think, what are you talking about? When has the heart, when, when did I, the heart of man straighten out and I missed it? So let me, let me bring this to a close with this. Now we know. Now we know. All the people who said he'll never invade, they were wrong. All the people who said we can bargain with him and, you know, we're holding these great sanctions in reserve and they'll turn him back, they were wrong. Will they learn anything? Here's John Kerry. This is before the, I think this is before the invasion, but it's the same week. I mean, we already knew this was coming down the pike. And here's John Kerry giving an interview about what's wrong with this invasion invasion. If John Kerry, you know, remember they sold us, John Kerry, how smart he was because he was running against W and the line on W was the W was stupid. So John Kerry, oh, he's so smart. Listen, to, just listen to the way he talks. Just, he must not be smart. He can't even open his mouth. That's so smart. If John Kerry were any stupider, he'd be too John Kerry's. Here's what he said.
2: I'm very concerned about, I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk uh, in terms of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity. And I hope diplomacy will win. But massive uh, emissions consequences to the war. But equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted. And and uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So. You know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing and his infrastructure is at risk and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us
0: to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. He's hoping that murdering people and conquering their countries is not going to distract him from climate change. <laughs> I mean, what an idiot. You know? I mean, the poor the poor Arab babe is watching him going like, I'm talking to a crazy man. I don't know what this is. Unbelievable. Our people are clowns. I'm sorry. You cannot go up against Al Capone without Elliot Ness. You can't go up against these people if you are clowns. You know, I just want to show you some uh, one other thing. A couple of other things, actually. This is an actress who calls herself an activist, Anna Lynn McCord, very pretty girl, usually plays kind of vixens. Uh, She put out a a, a video, Dear President Vladimir Putin, and it's a poem. So she sent uh, Putin a poem. Here's what she says.
1: Dear President Vladimir Putin, I'm so sorry that I was not your mother. If I was your mother, you would have been so loved, held in the arms of joyous light. Never would the story's plight the world unfurled before our eyes, a pure demise of nations sitting peaceful under a night sky. If I was your mother, the world would have been warm. So much laughter and joy and nothing would harm. I can't (laughs) imagine the stain, the soul-stealing pain that the little boy you must have seen and believed and the formulation of thought quickly taught that you lived in a cruel, unjust world. (laughs) Is this why you now decide no one will get the best of you? Is this why you do not hide nor away shy from taking back the world? It Was it because so early in life, all that strife wrapped your little body with fear?
0: That's <laughs> unbelievable. And this, is, this is our entertainment class that gets up on Oscar night, which people used to watch. It's Oscar Oscar. You've probably forgotten what that is, but Oscars were this award show and people watched it a lot. And they would get up and lecture us about politics. And these are the people... Joy Behar, this is her problem with the invasion. I love this. This is from The View, uh, 35, yeah.
1: Estimates are 50,000 Ukrainians will be dead or wounded. Yeah. And that this is going to start a humanitarian crisis, a refugee crisis in Europe. We're talking yeah. about 5 million people yeah. that that are gonna be displaced. Yeah. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking to hear what is going to happen. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm scared of what's gonna happen in, in Western Europe too. Yeah. No. You know, you just you plan a trip. You want to go there. I want to go to Italy for four years. I haven't been able to make it because of of uh, the pandemic. And now this, you know, it's, yeah. it's like who's going to what's going to happen there.
0: <laughs> Ruining her Italy trip, and uh, you know it's funny, but these are the people who speak about the news on our TV, and you wonder why we're stupid. You know, I mean, how can we be smart unless we're actually reading books? Because these are the people who are talking about the news on TV, and then when Trump when Trump says that Putin's a genius, I, I mean, compared to these people that compared to John Kerry, compared to John Kerry. Putin is Thomas Edison. He's Albert Einstein. (laughs) It's like I mean, that's that's what I think that's what he means. What he means is we have been such such fools when we lost Vietnam. I mean, the Soviets went on the march in Afghanistan. They invaded Afghanistan. They went on the march in Africa and South America. They were really taking over the world in the 70s until Reagan spent them to death and opposed them with moral clarity, which really was a powerful thing because he had values or at least he stood for values. When we bungled Afghanistan and let Hong Kong go under without saying a word, right, Putin and Xi, they, you know, they they got the message, too. They saw what's going on and they are on the move. And, you know, if you don't think Taiwan is going to go, if you don't think I mean, he's already flying missions over Taiwan. They're already sending planes over Taiwan, threatening them. You know, this is they react to what we do. And the Republican Party and the conservatives lost their way when they forgot what values are, when they forgot to stand for anything, when they forgot to stand up. I mean, say what you will about Trump, but he reminded them of that, even if he was not, he was, hadn't lived the most moral life, but he reminded them that this is a moral fight we're in. It is a moral fight. If we don't stand for the values that uphold freedom, then we won't have free trade, right? It's like values create freedom Freedom creates the free trade that makes us rich, and and uh, and that. And then when we get rich, of course, we forget the values, and the freedom goes away. It's a hierarchy. We have to live in that hierarchy of values first. Values first, then freedom, then free trade, and then you can be rich and you can stay free if you don't lose the values. Joe Biden, he is just. He is the new Neville Chamberlain and the Democrats are an entire party of Neville Chamberlains. They're backing him to the hilt. They're saying, what a wonderful thing that Trump isn't president anymore. And Putin didn't do this when Trump was president because, because Trump took care of business. He took care of business. He meant let the energy market thrive. Putin, uh, Biden didn't do that. Biden cut down our Keystone pipeline and gave an allowance to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, Putin's pipeline into Germany. And he said, well, that will give us leverage because we'll be able to cut it off. Putin doesn't care. There's plenty of natural gas he's taken over in Ukraine, by the way. It's something like the fourth largest uh, producer of natural gas in in the world. So and the Nord Stream pipeline bypasses Ukraine. So if he has Ukraine, he doesn't need that pipeline. You know, it's 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 not all about economics. It is about values. And if we don't have values and if we don't recognize the values of the people we oppose, we don't recognize the evil of the values that that we oppose, whether they're Islamists who didn't kill because they were out of work, as David Brooks once said, they didn't kill because they were out of work. They killed because they believed in a God who wanted us dead. The Islamists did. Now these guys kill because they believe in a world in which they dominate. Their way of thinking dominates. Their authoritarianism dominates. Human consciousness evolves, but sinful human nature never changes. And this guy, you know, we thought we could tell reality how it was supposed to behave. We thought we could tell reality. We thought, oh, men can be women and, you know, uh, people can be civilized by giving them a lot of money and people don't need values. We can live without that. We thought we were going to tell reality how to behave. This thug Putin, he is reality and he's not going to be deterred except by the kind of real power, which is the only thing that he can understand. So we're talking about the West and what the West means. And one of the emails I get most frequently says something like this. You know, I want to read the the art and literature of the West. And I really want to know more about my culture and my heritage. But I tried to read Crime and Punishment or I tried to read Les Miserables or I tried to read Hamlet or watch Hamlet. And I just couldn't understand it or it was too long. And the the next line is always, would you please? You're always talking about books. Would you please make a list of a hundred great books? And and the thing is, I'm not going to do that because all you got to do is is go back to say 1950, find a list from 1950, of the hundred great books, and th- th- before they went woke and they started including garbage that's just politically correct. And you'll you'll find the books that are there. everybody knows what the great books uh, of the West are, uh, except for the woke people who think it's something else. But you know those those lists you can find. The thing I I really think is that if you haven't dedicated your life to reading literature, if you haven't, and it's not something you've made a habit of, to start with Crime and Punishment, a a book that's difficult to read, it's, it's a... A foreign book, first of all, and Dostoevsky had a uh, a foreign way of looking at the world because he was Russian. And he had a different way than us. It's, it's hard sometimes to get into that uh, unless you've been reading a lot of stuff. If you read uh, Les Misérables, it's like a thousand pages. He has these uh, whole like hundred pages on the Battle of Waterloo, which has nothing to do with the rest of the novel. Uh, Hamlet, of course, is in uh, old English, older English, and uh, can be very hard to understand the diction. You want to start with things that you can grasp. You want to start with things that you can read quickly. Uh, and enjoy and really get a lot um, a lot out of and really educate yourself and then maybe find say, gee, I could understand that. Maybe I can go on to this or maybe I read part of this. Maybe I can read more of it. And so I wanted to put together a list of 10 really short things that you could read that would give you a greater sense of where the West comes from so that you can say, you know, oh, wait, now I start to get it. I've read that. I've seen that. And now when there's a reference to it, I know what it is. And I can go and look at something else about that or something that refers to it. And I can see, you know, when it, when the it's a silly story, but one of the most exciting uh, moments in my reading life was when I realized that a book I was reading was a metaphor for the Gospels. And I understood how it was going to end because of that. I understood how the story would end because I understood that it was referring to the Gospels. And once you start to get that kind of referential idea, you start to see that everything people are saying in the West, everything we're arguing about, everything that's happening right now, we've been talking about forever. You know, we've been talking about forever. So I wanted to give a list of 10 very short things that you could read uh, that would just give you a a sense of who we are and where we come from. And, of course, you've got to start with the Bible uh, if you've read the Bible or if you've gone to church all your life, you hear a lot about the Bible, but it's not a bad thing to sit down. I would take the Gospel of Luke. Um, I think it is the most uh, entertaining, possibly, of the Gospel, the most complete, most—it's it's, it's the most modern, in some ways, uh, of the Gospels. Uh, get the New International Version. You will miss the beauty of uh, the King James Version. There's nothing like the King James Version, but the King James Version is hard to understand. So read the New International Version first, understand what's there. If you want to, go back and read the King James. And you know, you almost think like I shouldn't have to say that and I shouldn't have to say it, but I do. So make sure you read that and make sure you read the letter to the Romans. Also in the New International Version, this is Paul's letter to the Roman Church where he explains what his theology is, what he s- sees in the Christian story, what he makes, what Paul makes of the story you just read in Luke's gospel, because it's it's not necessarily the first thing that leaps off the page. It's something that he saw, and it became the theology of the church. And so if you read the book of Romans and try to understand his logic, which is actually quite good, uh, quite powerful, uh, you get a lot of where our religious background comes from. Then you want to go to the Greeks, of course. And you don't want to start reading the most complicated philosophy and all this, but there is one thing that you really should read. I always say that the West uh, was built on the shoulders of Jesus and Socrates. They're like teleons, those uh, pillars that hold up the world. They hold up the um, the the cathedral of the West. They both lived. They had a lot in common. The two of them. They both lived in a world where it was kind of cool uh, to think that moral truth was relative, and they both believed in truth, but they both were very indirect about how they approached truth and how they got people to see truth for themselves through parables or through questions. Uh, and and both of them were judiciously murdered for heresy. They were both killed for heresy by the powers that be. And then their philosophies took over the West and became the West and even brought, were brought together uh, in the thought of Aquinas to become the West. So You've met Jesus, you've read the book of Luke, you want to read uh, Plato's Apologia, which is Socrates, or sometimes called the Apology, it's Socrates' speech when he is put on trial for his life for corrupting the youth of Athens, okay? And he makes a defense, and it tells the whole story of how he got into this situation, and what the court decides, it tells the whole story straight through uh, from uh, the whole trial, you get the whole trial, and the whole arrest, and why it happened, and it is one of the centerpieces of our culture. And it's just, a, it's not that long, maybe 30 pages at, at most. You do not want to go online and get the free version of it, unfortunately, because it's always by Benjamin Jowett. Uh, it's old fashioned. I don't think it's a very good translation. My Greek is pretty lousy, but still, I don't think it's a great translation. What you want is the Groob version, which you can get for eight bucks on Amazon. Uh, and you can get all the, there are four dialogues about the trial and and his execution. I think, I think there are they're four and you can get for, uh, for five bucks on Kindle, or for eight bucks, uh, you can order a uh, little booklet of them. Uh, you want to read the Apology? It tells the, the famous story of what happened when the oracle at Delphi said that there was no man in Athens, no man in Greece, who was wiser than Socrates. And Socrates said, How can that be true when I know that I know nothing? And he began to question the powerful and the wise and the good of Athens. And to see if they were, they had to be wiser than he was, because he knew that he knew nothing. And of course, this it really annoyed them as he exploded each one of them in turn. It really annoyed the powers that be. And this idea of questioning authority, questioning the wisdom of the experts—something you hear us do on the show, something I hope you hear us hear on Knowles Show and Ben's show and, and Walsh's show—you know, this, this is something that is very much. A part of the West, and it's something you get killed for in other place, places. And it's something Socrates did get killed for. I always remember reading a dialogue, rereading a dialogue uh, of Plato's with Socrates. It's Plato writing about his his teacher, Socrates, and um, and I remember reading a dialogue, and I said to my son Spencer, no relation. Uh, I said, you know, I really. I'm nostalgic for this day when Socrates and his friends could sit around and just talk about ideas, and there was this long pause, and Spencer said, Dad, they killed Socrates. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. It's always been like this. The other book uh, of the Greeks you want to read is a Greek tragedy, a play by Sophocles, it's called Antigone. Um, it is a play that takes place after the civil war in Thebes, when the king decides to disgrace uh, the loser of the civil war, Polynices, uh, by leaving his body unburied. And his sister, Antigone, says she is going to bury the body. That's a very disgraceful thing to leave the body unburied. This is just an absolute. Uh, you know, I don't. Need, it's like desecrating the corpse. It's just the worst thing that can happen. And Antigone says, "No, I have an obligation to bury my brother's body." And the king says, "We will kill you if you break the law and bury the body." And so, what you have is this tension that exists in the East, in the West forever, which is the tension before between the responsibilities of the individual and the responsibilities of, and your responsibility to the state. And how do you solve this? And what do you do about it? And where does the one end and the other begin? Now plays, Greek plays are not the most exciting place to watch, but there is a very good version of this, uh, on, on the BBC, which I think you can get on Amazon prime made by the BBC. Uh, it has the wonderful Juliet Stevens as a wonderful actress as a young woman. Uh, and, um, and you can get that on Amazon prime and watch Antigone, uh, or read it. You can read it. It's, it's a uh, Greek plays. Are, I like reading them better because they're all there on the page. Um, uh, so from there you go to Rome, and this was one of the things that happened to me. I was a very, very bad student, and I did not learn anything about any of this until I graduated finally from college, and then I started to read all the books that I had bought. But there was a moment when I was in college when I had this stupendous revelation, which was I suddenly realized that, oh, the Greeks came first, and then the Romans came first, and le- second, and learned from the Greeks, and then the Europeans came, and then we came, and all of these things feed into one another. So I'm kind of taking you through that passage. First, You got to read yourself some Ovid. This may be one of my favorite books ever. I think I've read the entire poem. It's a huge epic poem. I think I've read it four, five times. I've read it a lot. Uh, The Metamorphosis, it's called. The Metamorphosis tells all the myths of the the Roman people that really many of them come from Greece. uh, And it tells just wonderful, wonderful stories and beautifully written. Uh, Take a look at, uh, I think it is the fourth book of uh, Ovid. You know, it's it's long, so I'm not telling you to read the whole thing, but read some of it. Uh, you'll get the uh, story of Perseus and Andromeda and the Kraken. Remember uh, Trump's lawyer saying, I'm going to release the Kraken. This is where that story comes from. You'll be able to look at the night sky and see all the, uh, see Perseus and see the Kraken and see Andromeda. They're all constellations, uh, but it tells all that story. I believe it also tells the story of, um, Of how uh, dis basically the devil kidnapped uh, a woman and what happened to her Uh, and these myths just populate our imagination. They're part of it. Yes, it's it's book four. Pyramus and Thisbe is in there. I don't know if you remember Pyramus and Thisbe, the two lovers who were forbidden to talk to each other, so they talk to each other through a hole in the wall. That's in Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. He does a parody of Pyramus and Thisbe. So there's so much of this that feeds into our culture, feeds into our stories. If you read uh, Ovid, you'll have read almost every important story in the West. Get the Alan Mandelbaum translation. It is cool. It's dirty. Uh, and it tells you, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to read. He, he's a really good translator. I always like him. His Virgil is very, his Aeneid is very good too. Uh, but you want to read book four of the Metamorphosis to, just to get some of the myths of the Greeks and Romans that have spoken so much to us, just like the Bible has spoken so much to us. And the other book I would read from the Romans is I would read a chapter of Suetonius, the Twelve Caesars. Uh, it is pure political gossip. It is about the Caesars and what they did to each other, who they screwed, who they killed, who they murdered. Uh, and it give it, you know, it, it, it Suetonius was a supporter of the Senate after the Senate had basically lost all power to the Empire after the Republic had fallen, and it's where. The founders and we get our ideas that maybe unifying power in one man is not such a good idea. And he was just tell you every dirty thing you want to know. What you want to read is the chapter on Caligula. Caligula. Uh, It is he is the guy who just did the worst stuff. He was nuts. He just humiliated the Senate by appointing his horse uh, as a senator. Uh, And it is really um, it's really good stuff. It's just entertaining. Read the chapter on Caligula. If you like it, read the rest. Uh, so you got the Gospel of Luke, uh, the Letter to the Romans, the Apologia of uh, Plato, uh, uh, Antigone, Chapter Four of Ovid, and the Caligula section of Suetonius's Twelve Caesars, and then two books from Europe. I'm running out of time, so I want to say I'm fast. Uh, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Don't. There's a new translation by Simon Armitage, which is just great. J.R.R. R. Tolkien has one that I haven't read, but if you like Lord of the Rings, you might want to read this one absolute great story that gives you the Middle Ages, the wonderful story of a Christmas party at King Arthur's court. Uh, green knight enters and challenges any knight that he can fight with him. But whatever he does to this knight, the knight gets to do back to him a year from now. And it is about honor. Uh, It's about religion. It is just a world that is imbued with religion. It won't take you more than a couple hours to read. And it is a terrific, weird ghost story and knight story. Just terrific. Then you want to go to Heart of Darkness, and I'm skipping centuries here, but this is Joseph Conrad, uh, a written at the end of the 19th century. Uh, you, if you've seen Apocalypse Now, you know the story. It's about a journey into uh, into the African jungle to get a guy who has vanished into the jungle, and the horror that they see there, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola applied it to the Vietnam War, but you want to go back and read the original, because what it is, is about, once you've read Sir Gowen and the Green Knight, you'll realize this is a civilization that has lost its religion. It's lost its comfort with the mystical. It has lost its comfort with the supernatural. And it is also exploring Africa. It's exploring a primitive society. And it's going back Basically into its own past and seeing the horror of uh, a primitive world, but also the incredible attraction of the primitive world. This is a way, a a culture that is losing its way. It's 14 years away from the world wars that will destroy the civilization of Europe. It is a wonderful book and it's very, very short. You can read it maybe in two days uh, and you'll like it. All right. Two more. The Americans. This is the only full-length book I'll recommend. Read Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. It is the book of the—it's the American consciousness distilled. It really is. This book is not just uh, uh, Huckleberry Finn sort of discovering the immorality of slavery. It's not just the slave looking for freedom. It's also all the fakes and phonies along the way, because you're in a country where anybody can become anybody, so they can become anybody they want. So just like a man pretending he's a woman, they pretend to be things that they are not, and expect everyone to believe them and con everybody they can which finally brings me to the last one, a very short novel, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. its is, it, is, it may be the best American novel ever written, besides Werewolf Cop. Uh, it, is, it is a great, great novel, so romantic, so wonderful. And if Huckleberry Finn is about the yearning for the territories, because Huckleberry Finn wants to go out into the future, The Great Gatsby is about yearning back toward their European civilization. So just like... He's, you know, the Great Gatsby is this mysterious millionaire. No one knows where he comes from. He throws a wild party uh every week or so. And he's what is he waiting for? He's waiting for somebody to walk into that party that he is looking for. Just an incredibly romantic, incredibly, uh wonderfully, beautifully written story. And it, it basically takes you uh, through a cycle, right? If you start with Christianity, you start with Socrates. Uh, you go to the Europe where that Christianity and that Greek worldview has in infused itself into consciousness. You get to Sir Gowan in the green Knight. Then you get to heart of darkness where they've become separated from that. And then you get into America where they're looking into a future. They're hoping there's going to be a brand new future. But in fact, they're still drawn back ceaselessly into the past, trying to reconnect with the past. They lost the past that's represented by Europe and European society. Uh, You will know a lot about the West if you read those 10 short books and it will steal you to read more. It'll teach you how to read more uh, and it will give you a sense of who you are. Because there has been a, an absolutely purposeful attempt to rid us, to strip us of our culture, of our heritage, of the things that made us who we are, to teach us that we're evil, that we're wrong. Uh, it is a beautiful story, the story of the West, and it's not going to end here. No matter what happens to us, it's going to continue, continue for centuries, hopefully millennia to come. If you don't know by now, you should. The Daily Wire is getting much bigger. We're more than news and opinion now. We're creating an incredible amount of content just for you. Movies, comedy, documentaries, and so much more. Two examples, shut in. If you haven't seen Daily Wire's first original movie, you've been under a rock. This film has an audience score of 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a riveting redemption tale, absolute emotional roller coaster. It's artful, suspenseful, highly entertaining. 500,000 people watched it live during the world premiere last week. Even the left leaning San Jose Mercury reviewed it and gave Shut In props. But it's not just quality movies like Shut In, Run Hide, Fight, or the soon to be released The Hyperions, or our summer blockbuster, Terror on the Prairie, with Gina Carano, which I'm being told is terrific. Uh, When you become a member, you also get hard hitting documentaries like China, The Enemy Within, throw in our investigative journalism, one of a kind shows like Third Thursday Book Club, Candace, Debunked, and The Search not to mention our willingness to fight for what you believe in. This is why I say that Daily Wire is bigger than you think. When you sign up, you get all of this. And trust me, more big things are coming. But we need you. Help us build a world of news and entertainment that reflects your values. Become a Daily Wire member today. Head to dailywire.com slash watch to get caught up on all of this new exciting content. That's dailywire.com slash watch. If you've ever wanted to be a fly on the wall for conversations that don't take place on screen, now's your chance. In Ben Shapiro's new show, The Search, You'll join him and his closest friends as they head to Ben's favorite local spots to dive into some deep conversations that you don't get to hear when the camera isn't rolling. His first guest was the great Jordan Peterson, and the second episode of The Search featured his other very good friend, highly lauded historian, Niall Ferguson. It's an excellent conversation, and I highly recommend you check it out. The episode is available only to Daily Wire members, so if you're not currently a member, head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join today. As Russia descends upon Ukraine, one thing has become clear. Putin is calling the West Bluff. We've spent our time and energy massaging China and Russia in order to minimize conflict. But as always, dictators are not to be trusted. America supported Ukraine's move to hand over its nukes in 1994 under a promise for Russia not to invade. Look what happened. It seems that we are not to be trusted either. That's why it's more important than ever to understand just how insidious these foreign threats are within our own country. The way for you to do it, our new show, The Enemy Within, is a docu-series featuring acclaimed journalist and expert in national threats, Lee Smith. Smith uncovers a political coup orchestrated by America's ruling class to generate their own wealth and power in exchange for the slow rise of China's Communist Party in America. In the third episode, I've only seen two, but in the third episode, Lee uncovers the infiltration Of America's universities by Chinese spies, students affiliated with the CCP, and American professors who've sold their allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party for bribes. Check out the trailer. What if
2: everything we think we know about our leaders? Our society and our relations with the rest of the world is wrong the elites want to run the United States. They're modeling themselves after Chinese autocracy.
1: We're not talking about one person infiltrating senior levels
2: at the CIA or the White House. We're talking about an entire elite class. Had a Chinese spy as her driver. For 20 years!
1: My name is Lee Smith. I've been a journalist for more than 30 years. This is the most astonishing espionage and infiltration operation in history. What you're going to see in this series will shock you. This is the enemy within.
0: All episodes of The Enemy Within are streaming now exclusively at The Daily Wire, so if you're not a member, now's the time to change that. Head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join us today.